Father, we thank you this morning that we are together again, and we are ready and prepared to hear from you and your word. Um, and even, or even if we think we're prepared, and we're actually not fully prepared, we trust you overcome that as well. For the things that are on our hearts and minds this morning that might distract us, we pray you would distract us from those distractions. Distract us with your grace and your goodness, Lord. Help us to pay attention to that. and be. Um, we would thank you for Alex and Sarah among us, and we continue to pray that you would bring to our hopeful end that which has got everybody pretty enthused and such an exciting prospect. So we ask your special blessing upon that young woman and ask that whatever else is going on in her life, Lord, you would turn her heart and her affection towards you and uh, that you would begin to you know, continue to do in Alex and Sarah that necessary thing for them to take a step into that whole new reality. Do it for your glorious name. Glorify your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So good. So good. So, Deuteronomy, we're going through the Old Testament, continuing our Old Testament survey. We are taking June, I'm sorry, July and August off. Uh, but we are going to, uh, so we have this week, which is Deuteronomy, and then next week Todd will take Judges, and, I'm sorry, Joshua. Uh, the week after that, I'll do Judges, and then Seth is going to hop in the fray with Ruth. So he'll be here doing Ruth, um, and then that'll be it. Hopefully the Tibbets will come back for Seth's presentation. That'll be it. for uh, <laughs> the, the Tibbets will be preparing a nursery. <laughs> So, uh, I see April, I think April just pulled in with Pat, so we'll kind of give a second. But everything's going pretty well with that. We're all pretty excited for y'all. Yeah, That's great. And the studies. Now, so what's, what's up that you get the time to come off? Now, is, this like, is there a break now that you get over the summer? Or? At this point, I'm writing a dissertation, so I just sit on schedule. So you just do your own thing. Yeah. That's a lot of writing. It's a lot of writing. A lot of thinking. <laughs> good, good. So, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, the second law, or repeated law, okay, as it means. Um, well, actually, though, as is in many cases, the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, has a difference. You know, just like the, the book of Numbers, uh, it, it didn't go by that. The book of Numbers went by in the wilderness or something like that, was the actual name of it. Um, Do you have a different name? Or yes, different? completely different. Right, that's right, that's right. They didn't use the... Uh, no, they're, I mean, the script, the texts are basically the same. I mean... Although the way that the the way that the uh, the Jewish people put the Israelites the Hebrews put together the Old Testament the way we do are, are different, you know, vastly different. We tend to do it more or less by genre, which is helpful, I guess, mm-hmm. in lots of ways. Um, but in the Tanakh, the last book is Second Chronicles, mm-hmm. right? The Chronicles are the last thing in the Jewish Tanakh, and that's why you'll notice when we get to Chronicles, you're getting like a recapitulation of. Well, it sounds like we're reading all. It sounds like we're reading Matthew one here with all the genealogies, and then you get some history of what's going on right up to that point. So they did it that that way for whatever reason. But you know, be that as it may. So this book actually in Hebrew is called "These Are the Words." That's the name of the Hebrew. The Hebrew title of the book of Deuteronomy is "These Are the Words." Why would it be called "These Are the Words"? Do you suppose? Why might it have gotten its name "These Are the Words"? Give you a little hint. Of the Lord. Deuteronomy 1 1, right? That's right. So Deuteronomy starts out with these are the words of Moses, right? These are the words of Moses. A little feature. Shema 
Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad What's going on with that? <laughs> What's that all about? The first verse in Hebrew. No, no, this is this is the heart of Jewish theology. It's the Hebrew Shema, right? And Hebrew six four through five, right? Was here, O Israel, right? The Lord your God, the Lord is one. I mean, that really is at the whole heart. And when we when we read, you know, that Shema, we hear that here, O Israel. It's not. Just sort of the same way that we use the word here. It means listen and obey is built into the word. Listen and obey. And in fact, the obey could better be dis- distinguished as love. <laughs> listen and love. Because that obedience is, and that, that love is an act of obedience. So that's what's going on right here. And, and, and this is the Hebrew Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5. It's like, it's like the John three sixteen of the Hebrews, you know. I mean, if you went to Colosseum in the second century, you see three or four dudes with phylacteries on their arms and their foreheads holding up a 30-pound stone, right? It said, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. That's, it's just right in the middle of it. It's the great commandment in the law. It comes right after that, doesn't it? As repeated by Jesus, and which none of us keeps but by faith. What's the rest of that? So you've got, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. What comes after that? Yeah, yeah. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your might. Right? And so, so with your entire being. Uh, what is it to... One of the things... This sort of drove my own desire for apologetics was the loving God with your mind. You know? Because that is an easily... That is an easily forsaken... One of the things we need most. I mean, right doctrine comes before everything. We have to think right. If we don't think right, our emotions won't be right, right? Or if they are, they're not going to be in line with the facts, with reality. So that all comes first. So this is the great commandment repeated by Jesus, right? With our whole being, we love God. So what is it to love God with your mind? What is it, what is it to love with your with, with all your might, right? So, so, and and the reason why I had my eyes covered when I was saying that is that was that standard Jewish practice. They always covered their eyes when they sang that. Sort of for the same reason many of us close our eyes when we pray. Just to not be distracted. This is such an important thing so that as soon as they teach them to say that and sing it, it's always with the hands over the eyes. Just to keep focus on that. Why? Because it's so important. It's everything. Again, it is the, it is the aorta of Hebrew faith and practice. Uh, okay, so I need a couple of texts here. So, what I ask then, uh, Sarah, would you go to Galatians 5.14? And so we have someone. Uh, Sue, would you take Matthew 22, 34 to 39? And Beth, yeah. do you have a Bible with you? Romans chapter 13, yes. verses 8 through 10. And I'll take the, I'll take the last one. So, Galatians 5.14, you can just sort of blurt out when you're ready. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law. It follows right from this Galatians 5.14. There's so much of what's going on in Galatians. Okay? Now, so we say to ourselves, okay, love your neighbor as yourself. That's really not the great commandment in the law. 
But let's hear the great commandment in the law the way that Sue's going to read it for us in Matthew 22:34-39. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is that close relationship. Brother Randy, can you, well, you probably haven't gotten there. You're in 1 John, right? Have you gotten that point yet in 1 John where it says, How can you say that you love God when you don't love your brother? Right? Right? Mm -hmm. So, so when it says it's, you know, the second is like unto it, right? Well, it's not like the second commandment in the Decalogue, but it is the great commandment that proceeds from the entire law because the whole law can be summed up in, in that. But it's loving your neighbor as yourself is, is, is very close and very akin to loving God because it's impossible that we should say we love God and not care about the poor. It's impossible that we should say we love God and not care about the unborn. It's impossible that we should say that we love God and not care about to the extent that any social ills are genuine social ills. And by that I mean they go against God's will. I'm not talking about social justice the way it's defined by today's SJW, right? Social justice words. But there is justice that we, that we should be very concerned about in society because God was a God of great justice, right? What is justice anyway? I don't want to get down a rabbit trail. What, how would you, what is justice? Don't you ask that next time you hear a social justice warrior come at you. Because uh, somebody said, Todd, who, who, who are you talking to? I think, I don't know, were we talking about this? Yeah, you said anything put before yeah. justice isn't justice. As soon as you put a word before justice, you, you take away the whole concept of justice. <clears throat> that thought was pretty neat, right? Because you, you, you immediately are limiting and defining it in a way that doesn't go with justice. But probably maybe the best, one of the ways we can understand it is equals being treated equally, right? So, uh, here's a good example, and I'll just reach into sort of one of the societal ones, right? Uh, is is the, pay, the gender pay gap myth, okay? So the argument is women don't make the same as men. And then, okay, well, let's dig into that a little bit. Is it really a matter of a lack of equality going on? Well, no, what, what happens is they take a look at all men's jobs, they took at all women's jobs, and then they say, well, look at the average salaries. Instead of saying, okay, look at the same work, the same pay, the same number of hours, etc., etc., right? So, justice is treating equals equally, okay? You know, you get so, so equal pay for equal work or whatever. But God is very concerned with justice, people being treated fairly and equally as that's... And, and there are other things that come into play there, but God's very concerned about justice. And that's why as God's redeeming us and we're becoming the people He created humans to actually be, people that care about one another, people that care about the world and everything else, naturally, we should have a concern uh, for many causes, but these causes are, are fueled by the gospel. And the gospel is what gets people, uh, is how we get a society, hopefully, or at least we can bring to society the things that gospel-regenerated, renewed people have to bring to it. And so, I think that all of this is, is what's at stake and the Hebrew Shema. And they're about to go into a pagan lands of all kinds, where there's all kinds of gods. And so it's so important to see, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? And, and we already know about all the little calls to, uh, against idolatry. Bev, will you please read the Romans passage? Yes. 
Owe no one anything mm. except to love each other, mm. for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Mm. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and then any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Love does no wrong Therefore, it's the fulfilling of the law. Isn't that such an amazing line, such an amazing verse? So that's not a verse about not having debt. You can make up your own minds about debt. Hopefully you don't have excessive debt. But it says, oh, no man anything. I've heard that used to teach that you shouldn't have debt. Just another bad example of twisting the scriptures. There's something very important at stake there. And it's the debt of love that we owe every man. We owe a debt of love. We're constantly paying down on I hope, right? We need to always be paying down on that debt and it'll never be my paid in full. It is paid in full in Jesus. So, and so the law, as we're about to see here, the second uh, uh, sort of giving of the law, and why it's being given, but think about, so that's what's at the heart of the law, and then think about how the law makes God's people such a distinct people. I mean, they're going to be different than everybody. Everything is different about, even, even though there are laws in here that talk that we would look at now and say, wow, you know, I can't believe they had laws about slavery and everything. Well, God began to, just as, as revelation, the revelation of God through Scripture is progressive, God is changing humanity progressively. So God goes into that culture in that time, starts taking on the people for himself, and starts having rules and regulations about it. doesn't come and just like ban slavery. It wouldn't have, for whatever reason, made sense in the mind. But what they do is God completely contrasts it and shows and reveals what it means to do things in a certain way, right? God's always a God of process, which does not make us process theologians, but God is, he, he uses process. God's not in the process of anything, but he uses process in making us the kind of people God had in mind when he created people, right? And then in Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, we see something here also about the law that's at the heart, very, very, very much at the heart of what's going on with Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. But you who held fast to the Lord are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded you, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who, I think this is, this is key, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a, a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it, so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So the law of God itself became something that would be unique. It would be something that would, by living it, by by being in that uh, covenantal relationship with God. In this particular Mosaic Covenant, they would be light to the Gentiles, as the scripture begins to talk about later. So this is critical. This is going to set God's people apart from all other people. Because nobody else has righteous statutes like this. Nobody else has righteous rules like that. And yet, those other nations could recognize that and say, wow, nobody has righteous rules like that. Right? So something inherent in, 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 in humans can recognize, wow, that is so transcendently righteousness. Surely that could not have come from the mind of men, right? 
So we, we got the law, so to speak, to the new Jews. Now, remember our whole Old Testament survey hermeneutic key that we're following through does this whole thing, right? So the goal is that we have this sort of hermeneutic key of principle that we're using as we go through each book of the Old Testament to help us to stay focused. And, and that is, of course, that, you know, Scripture, whatever else, whatever way people may parse it, is, is about God's rulership over his kingdom. Okay? And then the second principle we follow along, as we see in these books, is man's response to God. And then thirdly, as we continue to see God's response to man's response. Right? And that's what's going on through all these. That's what we want to look at in all this, because that is the story of God and his people. And and not his people. And and this, Deuteronomy, is the final book of the law. And again, why is the law so important? Well, God made a covenant with Abraham to make him a blessing, a father of many nations, right? To give him a special land, uh, a special land as well. And so the law the law is the school bus. <laughs> It is the classroom, it is the teacher, it is the guardian. One commentator even described the function of the law as similar to that of a friend of the bridegroom, the best man, who rejoices over and announces the bridegroom. And to me, that might be one of the best definitions of the law I've ever heard. Right? Much like John the Baptist and Jesus, and by the way, John was the last prophet of the Old Testament. So I think there's something to that, you know? Who rejoices over the bridegroom, Christ, who is going to be coming. And this law sets them apart so God can do what he's got to do in, in the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. Even though the law is going to be broken, busted, kicked, and spit on so many times, right? You call it the law of the covenant? Is that what you said? No, I said the Mosaic law and it's how, why it's being used in the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. No, I, would, I, mean, okay. I don't know. I think it, it's, it's a law that God uses. It's the Mosaic law in the Mosaic covenant, but... Why is there something about the law of the covenant that just struck you? No, uh, the way the New Testament refers to the law in the Old Testament is the old law and the new law. Right, right, right. Primarily. Yeah. Old covenant, new covenant, you mean? Yeah. Well, there's also old law and new law. There's the law of love, but it's not really a new law, as Jesus said. Mm-hmm. So, the structure of Deuteronomy, really, is you've got these series of speeches, of farewell addresses by Moses on the plains of Moab. And I, I, this one commentator like the way he says this. He says, The great lawgiver stands before us, vigorous in his hoary age, stern in his, in his abhorrence of evil, earnest in his zeal for God, but mellowed in all relations to earth by his nearness to heaven. The commanding wisdom of his enactments, the dignity of his position as the founder of the nation and the first of prophets enforces his utterances, but he touches our deepest emotions by the human tenderness that breathes and all his words. Standing on the verge of life, he speaks as a father giving his parting counsels to those he loves. Willing to depart and be with God as he serves so well, but fondly lengthening out his last farewell to the dear ones of earth. No book can compare with Deuteronomy in its mingled sublimity and tenderness. I like that. That's some dude from like the 1920s. Back when people thought well about things really well. And, and so, I'll, let's call these three divisions the way that this book sort of breaks up. I just did it my own way. First part is called Rehashing the Uglies. Right? The second one would be The Law to the Jewish Newbies. And then The Life or Death Final Challenge. Right? So, Rehashing the Uglies, The Law to the Jewish Newbies, and The Life or Death uh, Final Challenge. So, Moses, right? Moses, 
Tell me a little bit about Moses' past. What, what's going on in Israel's past to this point? Just name a few things that we've learned already. In it. Well, what kind of people are we looking at here? What kind of people is Moses addressing in a final farewell? And how would you address the group you're saying farewell to that was like this? Right? Other than I am out of here, right? Why? Why? What kind of, what had become of these people? What would God, yeah, Mark? Well, he, he was trying to remind them of things they probably had forgotten because they hadn't been there to experience. They've been wandering in the wilderness, but Moses was a historian. What way prior to that? What kinds of things? What kinds of things went on in the, in, so far? The way God brought them out of Egypt. Yeah, okay, that. What kind of people are we dealing with? What are these people like? Yes, right? Yes, right? Like millennials. Is that what you said? They are whiny. They are stiff-necked. They are complaining. They're about the worst group of people you would want to lead anywhere. And I remember coaching baseball. And I remember, you know, you'd have one or two kids who were just always a nuisance. Nothing was ever right. It just sours everything and everyone, you know? But so Moses, as it was, just sort of plays a... Sticks a DVD in, in a sense, and sort of goes all the way through the exodus as we've seen to the present time, and, and it's ugly, right? So remember, you spent the whole year at Sinai, where the covenant was made, and God gives this glorious law that He's giving to them. As, as one guy said, this disastrous road trip through the wilderness then ensues, right? And and Moses is reminded, you wouldn't take the land, you wouldn't take the land. I mean, after all this and everything they saw, you wouldn't take the land. And you would say silly things like, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us in the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Are you saying that at this point? We can think about how long-suffering God is. Think about how gracious... I mean, it's, it's always easy to see how gracious God is with other people. And we should be able to look and see how gracious God is with, with us. Um... It just the, the, the awareness. I ran, I ran into this guy yesterday. I was out walking the beast. And this guy pulls up. He's, he's got this white pickup truck. I always know he's coming. It's this loud white pickup truck. He's kind of a gruff guy. I used to see him walking like three or four years ago. And every once in a while now he's seeing this pickup truck. And when he walked before, he was talking a little bit about his back. And I said, hey, how's it going? How's the back? In very colorful language, he told me how his back was doing. And, and he says, yeah, I'm going to get surgery and all this. He said, but you know, he says, I've been sober four years now this past weekend. He says, you know, I never realized how much hot work a house was, you know, <laughs> since I'm sober. But, but something had completely changed with this guy, right? And, and he was rejoicing and he was, he was happy. He, was, he had been through a lot. He had done a lot, a lot wrong and here he is now, you know. And my first response was, oh, praise God for that, man. And I told him a couple of weekends on Memorial Day weekend, it was 34 years since I drank or did any of that stuff, you know. So, and... And it was just glory to God. And so like, that's, you know, what kind so how do you show, how do you show that gratitude right in life, right? Are you going to be that complainer that we looked at last week all the time? That's what these people were, so many of them, right? So God does amazing things. So God set up his amazing kingdom. How does man respond? By being whiny and everything. So how does God respond to that? Well, he, he, with more grace. He just does more amazing things. They saw amazing grace in the wilderness. They wouldn't have known to sing it, and nobody at that time would have written it, <laughs> because nobody's heart would have been set to write such a song, but they saw the same amazing grace that you and I do. But only, only two of the original crowd would ever see the promised land. 
Right? Who are the two that are, that are going to make it out of that original set of all the warriors? Right, right. Of all the fighting men, of all the military age, only two are going to get there. Joshua and Caleb. And for 40 years, everyone's gone. They're not going to get in. They're not going to see it. And Moses said, you know what? Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account. Right? And he says that several times in Deuteronomy. He makes it a point to say that at least three times, maybe four. The Lord was angry with me because of you. You, you, you whining, complaining, you, you guys, you got to me. You broke me. You broke me. Right? I, 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 you broke me. And at one point, God, you know, Moses pleads with God. I think in chapter 3 or 4, plead with him, please let me in. And God says, enough from you. Do not speak of this matter again. That's the last time Moses brings it up. God literally said that. Enough from you. Do not speak of this matter again. Moses didn't. Right? And he even wrote a song about it. God had to write a song. We'll look at this a little bit more, but over in Deuteronomy 32, we see the song of Moses. And a lot of these verses in the song are like, you know... You might as well say, you're a moron, I really hate you. I wish I never knew you preach. I wish you'd all die. I'm glad that some will, right? I mean, that's what this song is like. So verses 15 and 18, right? Look at verses just 15 to 18. This gives you a little taste. But Jeshurun grew fat. You know, interesting, Jeshurun means dear upright ones. It's an endearing sort of term that God reserved Israel. And yet, look at this. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were no gods, to gods they had never known. To new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. And there's a whole lot more like that in here too. You know, this whole song is summed it up in just, you're ugly, your breast stinks, and your mother dresses you funny. You know what I mean? This song, he just rails against them in this song, along with some other good things. That's so it gets put to music. Why? Right? So, in fact, in fact, God says uh, that, that, hold on, I just lost my, uh, moment, I'll get to that after, never mind, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Um, but, but, but he does say, you know, oh, by the way, Moses, write this song as a testimony against them. This song is a testimony against them. And you're going to sing it and memorize it. Right? So, so that's what's going on with sort of rehashing all the ugly stuff that went on. That's sort of like the first division of this book. And then the next division is now it's, it's time for, like the, for the next generation of people that are going to go. They need to get the law. They certainly didn't learn it the way they were supposed to. Right? They didn't get it from their parents. They didn't, that the, the ones that were before them, they, they just didn't get it. And I bet you, I bet you a lot of times they didn't even, so you had all these sacrifices for sin and everything. You think, you think that there was, we always like to think, oh, there must be a constant flow of blood, and I'm sure there were. But you really think that these Jews who neglected God in so many ways were always bringing a bull to the sacrifice or bringing peace offerings and thank offerings? There weren't that many. There were some. I'm sure, on the Day of Atonement and all that, maybe people would show up like they, some people do in church once or twice a year on the big holidays. Hey, it's the Day of Atonement. Let's go throw some blood on the altar. Let's go. 
So, now we have different things going on, right? We've got God's, again, we're going to see God's grace and God's faithfulness. We've seen the defeat of kings and God's provisions and God's patience and Moses' intercessions. You know, Moses had to intercede to keep them from being utterly destroyed. I mean, Moses cared about God's glory, but God, if you do this, if you destroy them, the nations are going to basically mock you and make fun of you and say you couldn't do it. You couldn't bring them out. You couldn't deliver them, Lord. You didn't love them enough. Right? And then we have the Shema, right? The, the call to obey and to listen. Right? And so, the, I mean, the first recipients of the law very soon, if they're not already all dead. So there's just not that many people right now that even know the Decalogue. They could quote the Ten Commandments and all went with it. But God hasn't changed. The law is still needed for that relationship that he has for them for that time. That law is still a critical part and portion of getting to the, uh, the, the fulfilling of the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? God's, and I know Seth has mentioned this book recently, God's kingdom through his covenants, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I guess apparently it's a pretty good book. Um, so, but all kinds of provisions for worship, okay, are given in this now. So the, the Decalogue is repeated, and then all kinds of provisions for worship, including... You know, you don't bring unblemished sacrifices, or, you know, what's clean and unclean foods, tithes, and justice, including for the widow and the orphan, leadership of the priests and judges, abominations, rules of war. By the way, just a little, a little uh, excursus for you on tithes, right? So a little, just go off on a rabbit trail for a little bit. I know that some people, our church doesn't, some churches still teach that the tithe is a mandate, sort of, on, on God's people. Okay? And it's not. Our church doesn't hold to that. I like this particular quote. If only 5% of Christians comply, with the, assuming that the tithe is still what, if only 5% of Christians comply when they're required to give 10% of their income, even fewer will comply if they're required to pay 23%. Furthermore, if you're going to appeal to the Mosaic Covenant to inform our practice of giving, that we must tithe in the same manner as the Israelites tithes. Only 10% of our income will go to support the ministry. The other 13% must be used to host elaborate and expensive annual dinners for one's family, those in the ministry, and the poor. I think the choice is clear. We need to stop appealing to the Mosaic Law in support of tithing. The reasons are not practical, but theological. The Mosaic Law has been replaced by the New Covenant, and thus its laws regarding tithing do not apply to the church. Because overall, they really were required to give a little over 23% of their income. They had the regular tithe, then they had a tithe every three years for the poor. And that didn't replace the tithe they gave before. This was in addition to. And then there was a tithe once a year for a particular festival or season or something like that. So, give, five, give, give, give 30%, by all means. But don't appeal to the Mosaic Law as a basis for doing that. Right? And I just thought that that was worth sort of exploring for a moment because, I mean, that is our church's position anyway, but that's part of the reason, sort of why. Uh, we don't, as just discussed with Randy beforehand, we have a brother that doesn't uh, doesn't go with New Covenant theology. He's still a Covenant theologian. And, and among those things, and one of the things that we reject even in New Covenant theology of Calvinism is this tripartite division of the law. We don't see the law divided up into three sections, moral, civil, and ceremonial, such that the civil and the ceremonial are now gone, but only the moral prevails. No, the law was never divided like that. The law is a whole unit, a single unit. And so that's one of the differences that we have in mind. And that plays out in various ways. Because it's going to. Covenant theologians are very consistent in their application of their understanding. Right? And, I mean, we agree on so many things. I'm I'm certainly not making a judgment in, you know, 
We're better than them. They're smarter than us. Or, you know, anything like that. Just saying, that's an important distinction. They would still hold to Calvin's, you know, the moral law. So part of the Mosaic law, in a sense, is, 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 is ongoing. And that can create a lot of confusion. Without getting too sort of bogged down there. And so, this part of the text also gets into how to tell a real prophet from a phony prophet. And also the promise of the future prophet like Moses that would eventually be raised up. Who is? <coughs> Who's the prophet like unto Moses? Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good job on the copy, Randy, man. You got it. You got the copy right, Randy. You got it, man. Um, and then look at this. And so, and so there's also a law concerning what kings will be like. Now, this is interesting, right? Because a little bit later on, don't they get bashed for wanting a king? Right? And yet, God makes provision for a king here. In a minute, I'll give you maybe a chance to try to explain why. So, look at this in, in 17, verses 14 to 18. <clears throat> when you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only, very important, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Solomon stumbled on every single one of those. Every single one of them. Right? He got horses. You can read about it in Kings. He got horses from Egypt. Lots of them. And he had wives and concubines. And more wives and more concubines. And the scripture tells us his heart got turned away. Somewhere in scripture tells us there's a difference between Saul and Solomon. And I forget exactly where this is, but the difference is God remained with Solomon and, and atoned for his trespass and everything. Saul did not. I mean, don't think it ended well for Saul. Yeah? Well, the text says that God removed his love from, mm-hmm. from Saul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he didn't do that with Solomon. Right. Thanks. So, that's a biggie. So, all of this stuff is in the law. And again, this is a very important part of how God is Going through the process of getting from Genesis 15 to, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in, in, in the New Covenant. Right? The laws are very... Mosaic law for Israel is a very important part of that. For Israel. For Israel. Nobody else. <clears throat> so, and then we move on to the life or death sort of final challenge, right? And... So we got we got we got two mountains, right? Gerizim and Ebal, mm-hmm. right? You get these two mountains, <clears throat> and I, I guess there's probably a valley between them for for good echoing, right? But what's being echoed? The curses and the blessings, right? The curse. It all goes with the law. There's cursings, curses, and blessings. And so you get this. First, it starts out with these series of twelve curses. Curses is the one who curses is the one who, including things like curses, is the one who lies with an animal like a man, right? And so. All of this stuff that is in there, everything is all kinds of subjects being covered. And but and then there's blessings for obedience. So you got six tribes on one mountain and six tribes on the other mountain, and, the, and each they they say amen to the curse of the blessing that's going to be pronounced. What a, what a crazy thing, huh? I mean, I've never thought much about why God did it that way. Um, 
It makes sense, though. Uh, it has to do with, you know, uh, you know, it deals with all 12 of the tribes. And I think that's significant. It isn't like six of them went on to become obedient. Six didn't become obedient. They all were disobedient. They recently found, like within the last couple of months, on Mount Ebal, a proto-Hebrew inscription on a stone that says Yahweh. Really? The word curse on it. That is cool. I didn't know that. Several thousand years old. Well, so you think that could have been the original name? They, they based on proto-Hebrew and the age, it seems like it was probably closer to 12, 11 BC than it would be closer mm-hmm. to us. So. Neat. Yeah, so very well could have been. Yep. We like those archaeological evidences. There's nothing wrong with those sort of, you know, tickling your face. You know, it's good for us. But blessings for obedience. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the burbs. <laughs> you'll be blessed. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. You'll have blessed food. Your enemies will be defeated. You'll have blessed livestock, seasonal rains, blessed work. By the way, is that the case now? Is, is, is the best among us? Enjoying all these blessings, I guess in a way we are, right? We're blessed even when work is a drag. We're blessed even when, uh, sadly for some, the fruit of the womb is not. We're blessed when uh, God finds other ways to bless. We're blessed when, are, are we blessed when our enemies are defeated? Well, we're, we're blessed even when they triumph. Our, our blessings that we have in Christ are not tied to the particular outcome that you can only visualize. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. Ecclesiastes is all about that. It's all about, I don't understand, man. I mean, I, I, I've done everything. I've, I've tried all this stuff. You know, what am I so miserable for still? <clears throat> Sorry to reduce your preaching to that. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings yeah. in the heavens of Christ Jesus. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and 10,000 besides. You know, yeah, we do have a lot of blessings. Uh, and so there's curses for disobedience. And chapter 2820 is a good little summary. I like the way he sums it up here. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you've forsaken me. That's a great little one sentence wrap up. So you'll have pestilence. You'll have dust instead of rain. You'll be defeated by your enemies. You'll be dead bodies eaten by the birds. You'll have boils, scabs, madness of mind. Your wives will be raped by other men. Your cattle will be slaughtered. Your sons and daughters will be taken away. And eventually, you're going to end up in exile. Right? God's serious, man. There's a wow factor to this. Over in 28, verses 64 to 66. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among those nations you will find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a, tr- the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes, and a languishing soul. And your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. Have a nice day. <laughs> that sounds like something I would write. You know? It does. My wife tells me I'm graphic and I go too far. All right? The other day, Gary called me a maniac. We were having an exchange over, over something. Gary said, well, you're a maniac. Todd asked why he's drinking, maybe drinking too much coffee, right? Because uh, I will get into what, but there's a response to something that was brought up in, in the in, in the member. Somebody asked something in the membership, and I was like, it just set me off, man. And I was off and running, right? It sounded like this. It's just the image of God in me. It's that's the image of God in me. Nothing compares to God. 
Nothing compares to the way that God, because God is wholly righteous in his, when he gets all like that, right? And, and, and Moses, saying all this, he knew, he knew what the people would ultimately choose, didn't he? Over in, in chapter 31, verses 24 to 29. He knew what man's response to God was going to be, and he knew what God's response to man was going to be. God said, this is my kingdom, this is my rule, this is how I'm going to do it. So 31, 24 to 29. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in the book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Law, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? And, and he goes on, Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes in your offices, that I may speak these words in their ears, and call heaven and earth to witness against him. For I know that after my death you will, for I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you, because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. Moses said, in spite of that I'm telling you, I know exactly what you're going to do. So just put this law over there next to the ark as a testimony against it, because this is what's going to happen. Right? But, there is still this. There's always, and even in, in, in the midst of the law, the Mosaic law here, we have this little glimmer of something that transcends man's ability to stay and follow the law in all its precepts. <clears throat> and the Lord your God, if, you, if you're in these lands and you repent, you seek forgiveness. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And here it is. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, mm-hmm. so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So God's response, the man responding to him, or he gives him the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Man says, no way I'm doing that. And then God says, well, I'm going to change the heart so that you do. I'm, I'm going to, it's my gift to you. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to heal you so that you want me. I'm going to do something in you that is not possible for you. Why? So that you can have me. So that you can enjoy me and so that I can enjoy you and that we can enjoy our fellowship together. That's what I'm going to do. So that's neat that that shows up there. Even in the midst of all of this, this avalanche of what's to come. And the dread, the dread that's to come. And, and so when these people are in exile, they can look back and, and read Deuteronomy. Because at that point, they would probably have a lot of it in writing. They didn't have it at this point. But they would be able to look at it and see. And they would have some promise in there. Even in the midst of all of this law. You know, it's interesting... I was listening to Romans the other day, and sometimes when you listen to Scripture, you'll hear something you might not have gotten you read. And it says that Israel, the Gentiles, achieved the righteousness apart from the law. He said, the Israelites, the Jewish people, pursued a righteousness from the law, but they couldn't find it because they didn't pursue it by faith. He doesn't say, he doesn't say that they were trying to live the law. He was making this little nuanced point that even in their pursuit, they didn't pursue the law in a faithful way. So it's not like the law was separate entirely from faith. All the sacrifices and everything that were in that system were exercises of faith that they could have done. God provides the things in the Old Testament that would, that would help to establish the bond and the trust between God and them. 
That's right. Yep. And so that, that pursuit of the righteous wasn't united with faith. Well, because of sin, obviously, right? They didn't trust God. And so then you have Joshua commissioned. He must have been psyched to take on that job. <laughs> I mean, you've been listening to Moses. You've been hearing all this stuff, and you hear Moses, and you're like, oh, by the way, Joshua, I'm dying, and you're taking over. Right? So God says, commission Joshua for me. Right? And, and then we get, so we get the song of Moses, right? And he sings about how God will deal with rebellious and idolatrous Israel. As I said, God told him the right write it as a, as a witness, but it also shows up in Revelation 15, doesn't it? They sang the Song of Moses in the Song of the Lamb. Because there's wonderful things in the Song of Moses as well. And it's juxtaposed with the Song of the Lamb because the Lamb was there to undo everything that couldn't be done in the, in the, in the, law, in, in, in the law. And in the song that was sung by Moses. So God puts these two songs right with each other. Right? They sang the Song of Moses. All of that stuff. And they sang the Song of the Lamb. How, how much of that stimulate their hearts of gratitude? Think about that. When they're going to sing that song of Moses and they're going to hear all those things and be reminded of all that God did for them and how gracious He is to sinners. And then the song, of, which, which is encapsulated fully in the, in the song of the Lamb, uh, which it gives the song of the Lamb in Revelation. But back here, the song of Moses. And then just, I want to read again verse 3245. Um Uh, and when Moses had, oh, I, I get the wrong verse I think I do okay here it is 43 um, rejoice with him O heavens bow down to him all gods for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries he repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's lands you know and there's other things in there as well that just point to a wonderful and glorious things that God's doing in there <clears throat> and magnificent things about God so, sort of final thoughts, right, on, on the law, and particularly wrapping up a Deuteronomy. The, the story of the Israelites is the story of humanity, of all. And it is the human condition. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Right? Nothing has really changed. We've seen the pattern repeat with Adam and Eve. It repeated after the flood. Right? Same thing sort of happened after the flood. You see, just like you do with Adam and Eve, you see shame and nakedness. With, with Noah, and you see, uh, you just continue to see this pattern of people doing things, right? And so we continue to see God announces His kingdom and His sovereign rule. Humans say, "Oh, that's nice," and no thanks, we got this. We'll do it our way, right? And isn't it amazing? You know that song, "I Did It My Way." It's, it's popular because it, you know it's, it's the New York song, right? Uh, and it sounds neat. It's got a neat crescendo, but the words are just absolutely garbage, man. The words of the celebrate. It is if secular humanists were to have an anthem, it should be this, right? For what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. And most of us don't know these words. We just know I did it my way. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes. It was my way. What a... Yes? Arrogance. Well, I don't want to interrupt yeah. you, but I, I saw an interview with Frank Sinatra mm -hmm. in 60 minutes just before he died by maybe within a mm -hmm. year. And there, they didn't mention it, but there's a little sign. Uh, it, I think it looked like a post in the house. It was on one of the mm -hmm. posts, and it said, he who has the most things wins. Yeah. And I'm like, 
here's this sad case. He, you know, he, he didn't have the physical ability to be able to sing. He, he, you know, he's atrophying, you could say, yeah. uh, in life and old age, and and he still has to sign up. Yeah, I've seen that bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a while, but he used to be a pretty popular one. But yeah. at least he's honest. Yeah. You know? He is very honest about the human condition, right? And, 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 you know, so we're here at the end of Deuteronomy and we wonder how will it all turn out, right? How is God going to fulfill his promise to Abraham with this kind of lunacy going on, right? How is he going to respond to man's response? And so again, we get a hint of it already. It's going to require something beyond the Mosaic Law, strictly speaking. Right? It is going to require something of the heart that we saw. But there's a lot more. It's like God has to keep showing us. You know, like you, I think about our country. And the numbers are just absolutely... We say these numbers and repeat them. They are so staggering that America has killed 53 million 53 million human beings. The, the, the sun is 93 million miles away. We, we've killed 53 million, and yet God has not allowed yet Putin to push the red button. Right? He hasn't allowed us to be nuked. Now, he has sent a lot of judgment. It can be argued that all the trans stuff we're stuck in is the judgment of God. Not just things he's going to judge us for, but... It is the judgment of God in lots of ways. Right? God is so patient and so good and so loving. And, and he, just is, he's, he just is he's holding back that. I mean, you and I would unleash hell in our mind and our wrath and the way we get, right? Thinking, I mean, I, I, I shared some around you for I just I got so uptight about this administration and these particular subjects and I said something so wicked that I had to repent afterwards you know um, but I felt it with such passion when I said it I wanted it to be so true when I said it I thought wow I'm nothing like God are you so, implying you act like Phineas uh, if you went to a Biden uh, who's uh, Phineas he drove a spear through oh. Israelite now Oh, Phinehas. Oh, I'm sorry. I think he said, I, I just pronounced it different than you. So, yes, Phinehas. Yes. Um, so, but anyway, just so let's say, we have all these laws, but look at how, and all the sacrificial system God had in place for all the violations he knew would take place, and for all the, it says, it says a lot to us. And I hope it helps us to appreciate continually just how critical the Mosaic Law was in the founding of a God that people would have unique and separate and distinct from himself. And now we'll see what happens next week. Todd will take us through to the promised land. And Alex, can you pray? Is this close? Yes, uh, my grace, Lord, we thank you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for how you ordained the law, how you ordained Israel to bring forth the Christ. And Lord, we thank you that we now live on this side of human history, that we live, Lord, in the greatest time to live, that we know our sins are forgiven because we have seen the provision that you have made and we pray Lord that you will keep us faithful keep us in your word keep us grounded in your sovereignty Lord as we continue to long for and await the day of your glorious return we pray all these things in Jesus name Amen. and we might add you know we don't even have to necessarily look at 